This episode of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast is supported by Tools Group, one of the world's most experienced providers of demand analytics, inventory optimization, and supply chain planning software. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company with Tools Group's Juan Camilo Dorado. But now, on to the podcast. Do you really want to know what your customers think of you and your product? Then you had better be engaged in social listening. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Like it or not, social media are here to stay. With all of the negativity that characterizes so many tweets and posts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the like, it's understandable that companies would look upon these channels primarily as sources of pain. But look past the trolls and the flame wars, and you'll discover an invaluable tool for determining customer sentiment and future demand. In fact, no successful company today can ignore the need for social listening and social sensing. We'll find out what those terms mean and how they can be exploited from my guest today, Juan Camilo Dorado, Director of Advanced Analytics with Tools Group. He'll talk about how social media, the cloud, machine learning, and artificial intelligence are all coming together to provide merchandisers with an unprecedented source of market intelligence. And we'll learn how to distinguish noise from signal, the information that companies can draw from an ocean of big data to burnish their brands and win new customers. So here is my conversation with Juan Camilo Dorado. Juan Camilo Dorado, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. It's an honor to be here. We're going to be talking about social sensing, social listening, and I'd like to start by asking you to define those terms for me. Sure. So maybe to give you a little bit of a case, in the world of demand sensing, so is it basically trying to understand uh, what sales are going to be for a specific product in the, in the forecasting. One of the issues that we've been facing is at the moment that you see the sales coming in, Say you have a real-time system where you have point-of-sales data. You might have a big lag on, on what really is happening, let's say, with your consumers and understanding your marketing activities. What impact are they having in your sales or in the perception of your products that is driving sales? So social leasing is really trying to first understand what is your social channels are saying, but demand sensing with social listening is actually combining it to bring basically what signal is that giving me into my demand forecasting process. It's pretty much connecting the two worlds. We use the word social to connote a whole range of data. Where exactly is this data coming from? The most common perception is social. We're talking about the social channels. So Twitter, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, Facebook. 
but we extend a little bit to web traffic in general. So it could be someone's own website, their e-commerce activities to bloggers. So a specific blog that you follow or that people uh, somehow have an influence in a certain product to even generalize news and web scraping. I'm interested in, again, in what is being done with this data and the difference between listening and sensing. And you started to talk about that in your first answer. I'd like you to elaborate a little bit. What do we mean exactly when we're sensing data as opposed to merely listening to it? It sounds like we're making better use of it than simply just monitoring it. How are we sensing it and what are we sensing? The common thing that you see people talking about, let's say, when they combine the social channels is trying to understand, uh, so this is the listening, trying to understand what is what people are saying. And the common is, is the sentiment, which is, okay, let's follow a specific product, uh, let's say on Twitter, and you have a lot of neutral people comment. So imagine, oh, this product, I bought this product, or there's this offer on this product. But there might be another level where you say very good sentiment, uh, where you see, uh, oh, this coffee is great. I love it. So in the listening part, what you say is how do I translate those sentiments into actual metrics that allow me to explain in a quantitative way, oh, there's a positive feeling in this specific product for this specific region and that is coming from Twitter. So this is what we refer to as a sentiment analysis on the social listening. Now, the, the last part is how do I translate this into an actionable uh, quantitative figure that allows me to understand better my demand? And so need, we need to take it one step further, which is imagine building kind of a time series or uh, an, an indicator uh, that tells me how is my social listening performing over time. And then I can understand this, how is this correlated to my sales? So I hope I'm not getting too technical, but uh, it's kind of the next step where I'm saying how I'm making this useful, the sentiment towards explaining what I really care about is uh, how do I serve my customers better and when should I expect these sales so that I can optimize my supply chain. You talk about translating it into metrics. So are you saying that the metrics follow the act of social sensing, you get the you get the data and you thereby develop metrics based on what you've heard? Or do you already have certain metrics in place and then you're comparing those metrics against the input from social media? Actually both. You have to develop some specific set of metrics that help you explain the business questions you're trying to answer. Uh, the basic question might be imagine again with my example of a coffee, if the coffee is hot and or great, you might have a metric that says satisfaction and you measure some way and this is where machine learning comes in a way to say people are satisfied and you create an index out of it and the second one is well if you have a matrix can you compare it across time across products so this is the the benchmarking so that you can drive insights into what this benchmarking is telling you right so you have the normal the status quo and the changes the very good or the very bad so you can then predict things, ask further questions. But there's an iterative quality, it sounds like, also that once you start out with these metrics, that those metrics can be changed, revised according to the input that you get. It kind of feeds back and, and creates more valuable metrics based on what you've already monitored in the social media, correct? 
Absolutely. There is a definitely iterative nature of the problem and even an artistic as well, because you have to understand a lot of the context and this context as well might change. And uh, just so you get a sense, there's a concept that we deem as events. Events are time windows where there's certain conditions that might change in your demand that social listening might help you explain those events better. So as an example of an event, think about a promotion. A promotion, if it's a discount, has a start date and an end date that might be an irregular event on your normal demand. So it's something that is not as frequent and is not as well-defined, let's say. So every single time it's different. And these are things that are very hard to quantify with normal standard methods. So social listening might actually give you a better view of what is happening, let's say, in that event, in that promotion versus other methods or versus actually not having anything that explains that event. How reliable is the data, though? How do you really know if the social messaging that you are monitoring is a true indicator and predictor of sales and customer satisfaction? I I think this is one of the trickiest questions, and it's because there's not a clear answer. It depends a lot on the sources. So are we talking about Twitter and when is Twitter relevant? Or are we talking about Instagram? In some products, let's say people are using their use cases of Instagram, it's to take a picture and share with their friends for a product that is very brand friendly or brand awareness is very important. So Twitter might have a long as of a stronger signal. Maybe it's a product that there's a lot of opinions based and or sharing of feelings and Twitter explains it better. So there's no easy answer. And a lot of the method on this uh, iterative process, again, on try to remove the noise and try to really see if there's an explanation this, it's trying and seeing measure how it translates into, let's say, accuracy levels in, in our forecasting. And, and this is actually where machine learning Uh, helps us quite a bit on deciphering those features. There are different opinions as to how much you can really rely on what people are saying on social media. There's this idea that, you know, there's so much negativity on the web and in social media. Does that tend to skew it unfairly? In other words, if somebody hates a product, are they more likely to tweet about it than if they love a product? That's true. The thing is, you can adjust to it. So if you have a normal hate level, let's say like this, or a normal love level, you understand basically for Twitter, what is the normal use? So you calibrate against what is what the usual is. So that's what we mean with benchmarking, which is very important to understand. This is the normal. So you don't take it as a, as a truth, but more of as a relative indicator. So let's talk about machine learning, because this is really the fascinating aspect of it. Where does machine learning come in, and what, for that matter, is the machine actually learning in the process of monitoring the social data? Sure. So as you can imagine, when you start combining a lot of sources of data, imagine we consider just a few, which is the points of sales data and and Twitter and maybe your own e-commerce data from your own website – you start having first a lot of signals that apparently for a human, it might not make a lot of sense to really try to find what are the the rules that they combined with each other. You can certainly go through the statistical approach and, and many times you might need a PhD in statistics to understand, okay, there's a correlation between these sources and this source explains my demand in this way, but it gets complicated very, very fast. 
So what machine learning does is actually it helps us, one is to combine it, and it helps us to understand the effects of the combination in real time and specifically when the conditions are changing, machine learning is able to very fast adapt and learn the new model. Do you call this artificial intelligence? You could call it a version of the machine being adaptive and learning, right? Artificial intelligence actually means on complete systems with full autonomy. But uh, as we discussed a little bit, it's still an art that you need to help the system understand how to uh, learn from all these data sources that might have a lot of noise. How recent is this technology? I mean, AI has been just over the horizon for about 30 or 40 years now, and I'm wondering if it's finally coming into its own, and for that matter, machine learning strikes me as a fairly recent phenomenon. Is this type of capability we're talking about really just essentially a, a very recent uh, advantage that companies are able to take advantage of? Actually, not really. What we see a lot lately is because of the advancement in cloud computing and a lot of enterprises moving their systems to the cloud, you're able to connect a lot of more data points and do real-time computational faster and cheaper. A lot of these early methods of machine learning uh, that have continuously been evolving have been for already some years and some already implemented successfully in some aspects of explaining the demand for a certain product. So what we're seeing more is, is a more wider adoption and a wider adoption of more sophisticated methods that leverage a lot of data. So this is where the big data comes. It's just a widespread practice among larger companies or even smaller ones for that matter, or is it something that a lot of companies are only just beginning to discover? That, I think, is what is happening. I think companies are beginning to discover that there's a lot of power in connecting a lot of the data that they already have. So I think at some point I saw a metric that more than 80% of the companies already have the data that they need to build these kind of systems. But I, I think they're in the process of discovering and, and seeing their ROI. I think this is one of the key hurdles. And you see, how do I translate this into an actionable plan and something that gives me the ROI? So I think this is the part that has the low, slowest adoption, but we see it more and more every day. As we move forward and machine learning and AI become ever more sophisticated, is there a place for human beings in the future in, with regard to sensing this type of data and making use of it? Absolutely. A lot of the big debates now, it's whether all these systems will be replacing a lot of the human elements. But uh, actually what we see, and uh, at least in the, in the coming years, what, what these systems are doing is enabling better decision-making and better business processes. So to put it in other ways, think about if you had all this level of automation and better predictive systems and better demand sensing, what other business models can you develop to better serve your customers? Think about better model propositions. Think about better services. Think about better product development. So there's a lot of doors that actually open where the human element, the creativity, the contextualizing the data really makes a difference. So what I see it is more as this will open so many new doors that uh, I think the companies that embrace it and start working within the, with data more actively will benefit the most.
Juan, I want to talk to you a little bit about Tools Group itself. Could you give me a little capsule history of the company? Sure. Tools Group has a quite interesting story because for more than 25 years, they've been always striving to develop cutting-edge applications of the latest technology in understanding the elements of the supply chain. So Tools Group started from MIT. Uh, it was a spin-off of Draper Labs. And probably they were a little bit early to their time, but they were saying the world is moving to this automation and how can we help you uh, develop these tools and these systems so that you be basically develop these competencies in your, in your supply chain. So nowadays, uh, a lot of the time that we spend is how can we uh, help companies implement all these automation systems with the cutting edge, let's say machine learning and SNOP processes that involve, as you can imagine, a lot of change management and system infrastructure uh, things that are, uh, when we talk about IoT, it might mean a lot of internal changes that the companies need to get ready for. So we don't only help them with the technology, but help them actually do this transition. How has the company's mission evolved and changed over its lifetime? Clearly, when you started out, you didn't have this high level of technology, and we didn't necessarily, we weren't, we weren't talking about the Internet of Things. We weren't talking about big data, machine learning, AI. What were you then, and how, do you, how does it differ from what you are now? Actually, I would say very little. One of our, our missions is always to be powerfully simple, uh, which is how can I bring you the most powerful tools in a simple way to, for you to help to fulfill that mission. So although those elements of AI and IoT and big data were not present, we always have the, the mindset of saying, how do we employ, let's say, analytics and computer science and the latest in computer to actually get you to that goal? So it's more than the tools have changed, but not the mission, the proposition, nor the, the way that we approach the problems. Have the needs and the pain points of your customers changed over that time? Absolutely. So there's kind of different levels of maturity within our customers. So we still see, depending on the sector and the region, that there's a lot of basic needs on, on what is basic still to the core products. But the most sophisticated clients are actually looking to how do I explain better my demand? Uh, so this is kind of the needs that we see in the most advanced customers. What does the future look like for Tools Group in terms of how you feel like your own solutions might evolve and how the needs of your customers might evolve in future? Give me a picture of the uh, years ahead and how, how you see that. A little bit of what we're seeing now on, uh, let's say, on the plans on what clients are thinking about is they're starting to think more automation. So how do we help them bring more automation? And this involves now more of a uh, combination of functions within the company. So no longer we see supply chain as a silo, but uh, how do we enable the SNOP processes, for example, and how do you combine that with cloud, a lot of collaboration, uh, real-time ingestion, monitoring, and decision-making. A lot of what we see also is to get to a level of automation, not just in the monitoring and real-time data, but also in the actions we need to have an organization behind that can support faster operations. So we help them a, uh, a lot in helping them in the design, helping them in bringing this level of automation to reality. Juan Camilo Dorado, I want to thank you so much for talking to us about the issue of social sensing, machine learning, and AI, as well as something about Tools Group itself. Thank you so much for being with us today. Bob, what a pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. 
That was my conversation with Juan Camilo Dorado of Tools Group, talking about how merchandisers can take advantage of social sensing and social listening. Our thanks to Tools Group for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com. We repost a new episode of this podcast for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.